incredible things happen when God moves. That's what we're going to look at this morning is when God moves. And so we're going to be here in Acts chapter 2. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Are you happy with where you are in your walk with Christ right now? I mean, and before God, could you say, I'm satisfied with where I am? If you were really honest, are you seeing God move in the ways that you would like him to? Or is there something more? Is there a part of you that longs for something more? Not that God would give you something more or necessarily that life would make, you know, be easier or not so difficult or whatever, but more that you know that there's something that, that God could do in and through your life that's just not happening. You have this this burning holy hunger, if you will, to see God more clearly, to understand his word better, to to see him work more powerfully through your life. Most of us would probably say, no, I'm I'm not where I need to be. I, I know that there's more to seeing God work than I'm seeing in my life right now. There's more peace. There's more comfort. There's more joy that only God can produce. And, and I know that I should have that right now, but I don't. A few of us this morning might say, I'm really happy with where I'm at. Now, that could be for one of two reasons. One, it could be because you are growing in your relationship with Christ and and you're walking closely with him, you're studying his word, you're learning more about him, and and as far as you know, you're not walking in any sin that you're not confessing. You know, all of those kind of things. So you you may genuinely be able to say, you know, I really am content with where I am with God and I'm seeing God grow me and and I I really am happy with with where I'm at. But for some of us, we might say, I'm really happy with where I am because we don't have a big enough picture of what God can do. The God that you think of when you think of serving is too small and insignificant to really mess up much of your life. See, here's the thing. If God is the Lord over all creation, like we've been praying and exalting him, then he has to have the ability to mess up my life, right? He has to have the ability to do things I don't understand. He has to have the ability to to make decisions that I wouldn't make and to to do things that really mess up my plans. If, If your God that you're serving can't mess up much of your life, then you need to see just how he can work. You need to see the kind of things that God can do. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. As we're looking here in Acts chapter 2 is what happens when God moves. We talked about it sometime the last time we were together, but as we look as a church at the mission in front of us, we've been seeing God do great things, but I believe that there's more that we could see God do in store for our church family as we seek to love him and others and our family, our church, our community, our world. I mean, do you guys, do you guys have that sense? Like, There's more we could be doing to push back against the darkness. There's more ways we could be sharing the gospel. There's more ways we could be engaged. I believe that all the great things we're seeing God do are only hints of how he could work. But I want to see him more, right? So here in Acts 2, we see what happens when God shows up. Now, this is an incredible account of what God can do through his people. If you're here this morning or if you're watching us online and you're not familiar with God's word, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this story is going to be weird to you. This was the first story that I ever heard in a Sunday school class. I was in fourth grade, and I walked in, and they talked about this whole thing where the church was praying, and their head lit on fire, and then all of a sudden they started talking gibberish, and it legitimately, and I'm not making this up, this is not a preacher story, when I was in fourth grade, I thought the reason we bowed our heads when we prayed was so that they wouldn't catch fire like they did in Acts chapter 2. Okay, like it's like, you know, you don't want to wear too much Aquanet because that stuff's just going to whoosh. So, you know, I almost felt like it was kind of like a duck and cover kind of thing, right? You know, like 
That's how little I knew about this. So if when we're reading through this, that's what you walk away from this, we're going we're gonna to explain it, okay? The pictures here are a little bit different if you're not familiar with God's word. So that's okay. We're glad that you're here with us. Let's also be clear about this. What happens in this passage is not normal, everyday things that we expect God to do, okay? This was a one-time occurrence, as far as we know, where God sent his spirit on the church in a unique way. This was a promise that Jesus had made to his disciples that the Father would send the Holy Spirit onto the church as they waited there in Jerusalem, and so this is the fulfillment of that. So, um, so if you did put on a lot of Aquanet today, um, you don't have to worry about your head catching fire, although if you're frank, you know, there's no hair to worry about there, so you're good. By the way, if you're, not, if you're watching this and you're not regularly a part of our church family, you've got to understand, we, we say we're church family because we love to make fun of each other all the time. It's just part of it, okay? But as we're going through this, this is a unique event, but there are principles from it that we can draw to see God at work in unique ways now, okay? You ready? So let's dive in and let's read this with me. I love this passage. First thing that we're going to see, read with me here in Acts chapter 2. We're just going to read verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. The lights just flickered. So you're not, you didn't just pass out in case you're wondering. You didn't get slain. Uh, You're good. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Now, as we look at this, this is, like I said, kind of a crazy story. As we go through this, by the way, um, if the lights go off, it will be dark in here. So proceed carefully and quietly out those doors in the back because there's daylight that comes through those. Um, so if the lights go out, that's where we'll be headed, okay? Sound good? All right. As we're looking here at Acts chapter 2, here's the first thing we notice about when God moves. The first thing that you see is that when God moves, God's people are prepared. God's people are prepared. Now, the disciples were ready and waiting for whatever God was going to do. Look, look back at chapter 1, verse 4, all right? This is what we looked at last time we looked at the book of Acts. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. So as he was talking, he told them that they were to wait for, in Jerusalem for the Father to send the Holy Spirit to them. This is the people who follow Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And as we mentioned last time that we talked about this, it's by his grace that he's saved them, he's called them, and not because they were wise or strong or influential. But the the plan that God had for them to take the gospel to the end of the world was something that they could not do in their own power. It's probable that the disciples really had no idea what this would actually look like. They couldn't have known how God was going to show up, but they knew that he would. So they were gathering together and waiting for the 10 days between when Jesus ascended and the day of Pentecost. By the way, Pentecost was not originally a Christian celebration, just in case you wonder. 
This was a, a Jewish celebration. There's Jews from all over who've come to Jerusalem. And as they're doing this, this is 50 days past Passover. That's when you felt celebrated Pentecost, okay? That's 50, Penta. There you go. See, aren't you guys so glad that you just get all this wonderful information? As they're prepared, as they're sitting there, they're waiting on Jesus to, to go back to the Father and for the Father to send the Holy Spirit, right? What are they doing while they're waiting? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 14, if you've got your Bible with you. They were all continually united in what? Prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Here's one of the things about Christian waiting. Christian waiting is not a passive experience. We don't just simply, when we talk about waiting on God to move or waiting for God to do something, we don't just sit there and twiddle our thumbs and, and, and just, you know, do nothing, sitting there, you know, trying to beat our high score on Bejeweled or whatever it is your game is on your phone. Waiting in the Christian life is an active process. During this time, they were waiting, and as they waited, they prayed. We talk about prayer enough in church that that's like one of those Sunday school answers of, you know, Jesus, read the Bible, pray. You know, it's just kind of so cliche that we forget that God does not move before his people pray. In fact, if you're friends with me on Facebook or uh, it's public on my Facebook profile, I posted a link to a podcast last night from H.B. Charles Jr. It's a podcast through the Gospel Coalition, a message that he gave on the idea of um, that prayer is the precursor to revival. And so you can find that on my Facebook page. Um, In that, one of the quotes that he said is, when we work, or we work, but when we pray, God works. Here's another quote for you on prayer. A.T. Pearson, I don't know who that is, but he's had a good quote here. He said, from the day of Pentecost, there has not been one great spiritual awakening in any land which has not begun in a union of prayer, though only among two or three. No such outward, upward movement has continued after such prayer meetings have declined. There has never been a time in history where God has moved among a church without people praying. And after they stopped praying, they stopped seeing God move. You see that? I'm so grateful, by the way, for the faithful folks who gather on Wednesdays, both in person and virtually through Zoom, for us to be able to pray together. That honestly is one of my highlights of the week. Um, if you've not come to one of our Wednesday prayer meetings, we'd invite you to come out with, with us because it is a wonderful time. We spend a little bit of time studying God's word. We share prayer requests with each other, and then we take some time to pray through the requests that we've been given and just what God lays on our heart. So I'd encourage you to be a part of it because, see, part of our preparing to see God move is spending time in prayer. That's what they had been doing. When we looked at Acts chapter 1, I mentioned that we wanted to see God move and expand his kingdom in our hearts and the world around us in ways we've never seen before. Again, I was honest with you then and still am today. I don't know what that looks like or means for us as a church. So what do we do while we wait for God to show us? Well, we pray. The other thing, by the way, that believers do throughout Scripture when they're waiting to see what God's doing is, like we talked about last week, they examine their lives and make sure they're walking in holiness. You see, we talked last week about discerning the will of God, and we said that 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 involves us pouring our lives into Scripture and allowing that to pour into us to see if there's anything in us where we're not walking according to what God tells us in His Word. 
As we wait in prayerful obedience, God uses that waiting time to cultivate in us a hunger to see him move. And when that it finally sets, it's like, it's like a flamed dry kindling or, or like a, a ship that's been adrift at sea that the, the sails are set and all of a sudden the wind is sent and we can take off going in the direction that God leads. So as we're waiting, we're not just sitting around twiddling our thumb. We're praying and we're making sure that we're walking in holiness. That there's nothing in our lives that would discredit us or disrupt us from seeing God work and move because we're honoring him in our friendships, in our relationship, in our thought life, in our hobbies, in our pastimes, in the way we use our money. In everything that we have, we're seeking to be prepared as we prayerfully obey. So how much time do you spend praying? Honestly, in all seriousness, how much time do you spend coming before God? When you do, do you just kind of throw a few things up to the ceiling to see if they stick? Or are you willing to to be on your knees, on your face, asking for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, seeking for him to move in different ways? What did you think when you woke up this morning and saw that we hadn't canceled church? Oh, man, now I got to go. Or did you think, well, at least I get to check the church box off for the week? Or did you wake up and say, God, I get to go to church. God, I I get to be around other people who know you and and maybe some who don't. And God, I get to sing and I I get to look at your word and God, I want to see you move. God, would would you save somebody this morning? Would you convict somebody? Would you strengthen somebody? Would you encourage somebody? Those are the things that happen when God moves. See, as you're praying for this, instead of just, oh, do I get to go to church today? Or or are you praying for God to actually do something? See, when God's people are prepared, the second thing that we see is that God moves only like he can. As the disciples and, and likely several others were there, they were ready, they were waiting, and God shows up. Look again at how it's described. Start with me again in chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven. How many of you guys remember the derecho from a few years back? You guys remember that massive straight-line windstorm? Okay. Imagine that into the church all of a sudden. It said this sound like of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. Now, keep in mind, Luke is describing a spiritual event, so he's having to do his best using human language to describe what's going on. There's the sound of a a violent rushing wind. It's interesting to note, by the way, that that the words in Greek and in Hebrew that are the word spirit are also closely related to the words breath and wind. So often you have this idea of God breathing his spirit into people or the the wind as God moves. You can think about the wind that God sent when he drove back the waters of the Red Sea to allow God's people to pass. God's often used wind there like with Elijah there on the mountain as he's getting ready to speak to Elijah. He sends a wind ahead of him that breaks the rocks as he goes. Here, God the Father is breathing on his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he manifests it through a sound like a violent rushing wind. By the way, be very careful as you think about the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a he, he is not an it. 
Sometimes we have this idea as we speak about the Spirit of God that it's almost like the force. And that receiving the, the, the Holy Spirit's like being a Jedi, you know, and I've got some kind of power to be able to force choke people or, you know, whatever. That, that's not what the Spirit is. He is a person. He's a, a part of the Godhead. Yet God, the Father, sends him to fill us with God himself so that we have the power of God available to us now to obey him, to accomplish his purposes. He's a he, not an it. But here, as God sends him, he sends this picture of a violent rushing wind. Not only that, you have a visual manifestation that looks like tongues of fire. Like I said, this was the part that had me concerned about whether or not my head was going to catch fire when we prayed. It said that that the tongues of fire came in. Again, this shouldn't be all that surprising because if you think about the wilderness wanderings, when God took his people out of Egypt, God's presence was manifested by what during the night? pillar of fire at night, right? But we also see in 1 Kings 18 that God consumes Elijah's sacrifice with fire from heaven. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, God's referred to as a refining fire who purges the sin of his people. By the way, then it gets even more exciting. As the tongues of fire came in, it separated and began to rest on each individual person. It's interesting to see how that works. As, they, as that happens, they begin to speak in different languages. By the way, I know that there's a diversity within Christian thought as to what speaking in tongues looks like. Um, our understanding here at our church is that this is talking about speaking a language that is a known language, but not to you. So if all of a sudden I was able to start preaching in Chishona, which is the language they speak in, among the Indau of Zimbabwe, where we've done mission work, if I was preaching and all of a sudden able to speak in Shona, that would be the gift of speaking in tongues today, okay? God does not often give that gift now, although I'm not going to say that he won't. In this instance, you see that they begin immediately speaking in different languages. And the way we know this is known languages, by the way, is as you read that section that talks about they each heard it in their own language. And they've got all of these different nations represented. So there's probably 120 people in the room. And as the tongues of fire land on them, they begin speaking in all of these different languages, declaring the glory of God to the entire world. Suddenly, God shows up with wind and fire, and everybody starts speaking in different languages that they didn't know before. Whoa. (laughs) Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine what it would have been to see God move in that way? Well, there's this unique note here. When the Father sent the Spirit, I mentioned to you that the tongues of fire came in and separated and rested on each one of them. The same Holy Spirit came on each of the believers in the room that day. And yet, as you look at that, that tells us that the Holy Spirit is given to all of us, even though we have an individual part to play in what God's doing through the whole group. Now, we understand after this moment that you receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. When you are saved and you're converted, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit in that moment as well. And so now every believer has the Holy Spirit. So if you're here, if you're watching online, you have all of the Holy Spirit available to you right now. All of the power of God is living inside you as he's taken residence in you from the very moment you've been saved. Guys, that's incredible. You don't just have to be some kind of super spiritual Christian that that has some kind of special blessing to have the Spirit of God. That's the blessing that belongs to every believer. And if you've got questions about that, I'd love to sit down and talk with you more. Romans 8 is a great passage for you to go to if you've got questions about that. So it talks about that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you can't have Jesus himself. So when you get saved, you get the Spirit. When that happens, God moves like only he can. 
So are you saying that my hope is that, you know, I'm going to see God blow open the doors and all of a sudden this wind is going to come through and we're all going to have this experience? No, this was a specific time and place where God was doing something incredible. It's not likely that God will do that again because after this transition period that we see throughout Acts, the rest of the New Testament makes it clear that, that the Holy Spirit comes to us the, way, the moment we're saved. However, I do believe that God can and does still move in ways that are clearly things only God can do. In the study Experiencing God, author Henry Blackaby lists out several things that when you see this happening, these are things that only God can do, okay? Here's a list of them. One, only God can draw people to himself. So do you have a coworker who's never gone to church, who's never been interested in the things of God, and all of a sudden they start asking you about Jesus and asking you to pray for him? That's something only God can do. Only God can cause people to seek him. So God's the only one who can put that in somebody. So if you, if you hear your friend all of a sudden say, hey, I've got this going on, would you pray for me? Perk up, because that is an opportunity that God's at work. Only God can reveal spiritual truth. Many of you may have, if you got saved as an adult, you may have read the Bible as a kid and it just was like gibberish and it didn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden when you came to Christ, it made sense. It clicked because the Holy Spirit is helping you to see what the truth actually is. Um, in John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit can convict the world about, of guilt, about sin, convict the world of righteousness, convict the world of judgment. If you see somebody who's struggling with conviction of sin, again, that's an indication that that's only God at work. We, we could add other items to this. I think giving us a genuine heart to praise God, that's something that only God can do. So what will it look like when God shows up at Christiansburg Baptist Church? Well, probably not a violent wind and tongues of flame and fire, but it'll be a season where God's drawing people to himself, where he's revealing truth to folks who've never understood his word, where he's convicting both non-believers and believers of sin and helping us to see all that he can do, drawing us into a, a closer relationship with himself. Guys, I, I had a privilege at one point when I was a teenager of going through what I believe was genuine God-sent revival in a corporate environment. Now, not everything was perfect about that season, but I will say that when people pray for revival, we often think of this ecstatic experience and people flooding the altars and getting saved. And, and yes, people did come to know Christ. But I will say that it actually was more about God's people getting right with him. It was about confession of sin, restoration of marriages, restoration of relationships between parents and their kids. And it was like getting peeled with a potato peeler as God just went layer by layer, by layer, and it was exhausting. And at the same time, you didn't want it to stop because you were getting to see God work. You were getting to know him better. See, when that happens, when God starts moving in his people and gives us a burden for the lost around us, a burden for walking in holiness. When God starts moving like that, the third thing that we're going to see is exactly what happened that day, and that is other people notice. Other people notice. Look back at verses 5 through 13. You see there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astonished and amazed. And then it goes through this list of all the different nations that heard him. As the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spilled out of that room. Did you notice, by the way, that they didn't stay in the room? See, it's one thing for us to, to I, I don't know, I, you know me, I cry all the time. It's just part of who I am. I was moved to tears during our worship time this morning. 
as I was just reminded again about the greatness of God and declaring that together with you, as together we exalted Jesus, I was moved to tears. But the question is, does that move me out there? See, it's one thing to get emotional on a Sunday morning. It's another thing for that to impact every fiber of my being. They couldn't contain what God was doing, and it spilled out into the street. They start declaring the goodness of God, so suddenly people start figuring out these people are the ones who are following this Jesus guy. They become amazed when they hear that their native language is being spoken. As Luke lists all these different nations that are represented, each one hears it in his own nation, or excuse me, his own language. Even folks visiting from as far away as Rome, they hear it too. By the way, what are they hearing? Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. The disciples weren't actually preaching yet. Peter gets ready to do that in just a minute, and 3,000 people get saved. What were they doing? They were praising. They were declaring the mighty acts of God. They were giving testimony to what God had done. You know, sometimes we too formalize those words, guys. They were just telling people what God was doing. They were talking about how big he is, how good he is, how merciful he is. And they were overflowing and through the Holy Spirit, putting that into tongues that they could hear and understand in their own heart language. God used that to lay the groundwork so that when Peter stood up to declare the gospel to the crowd, 3,000 people got saved. See, people notice. The movement of God drew a crowd that day, and I believe it can draw a crowd today. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we're going to have 4,000 people and we're going to be going to 16 services. And, you know, No, no. But when your coworkers who know how bad you hate your job, when they suddenly see you coming in with a fresh sense of purpose and direction in life because you're working for the glory of God, it's going to draw a crowd. When the people who know how depressed you've been about the status of your family see you overjoyed because those relationships are being restored by God's grace, they're going to ask you what's going on. When your buddies hear your change in your language and what you joke about, they're going to wonder what happened to you. When God moves and convicts us of sin and draws people to himself, it spreads like wildfire. By the way, God's moved like this in other places across the world. One of my favorites is the story of the 1904 to 1906 Welsh revival. There was a young man named Evan Roberts who was the lead figure in the revival. 70,000 people in the country of Wales got saved in three months. By the time the revival was over, which just typically lasts about two, three years, 100,000 people had gotten saved. Well, you mean just like 100,000 people had made decisions and gotten emotional? No, no, no. Listen to how some have summarized the effects of that revival. During the time of revival, the police were left with virtually nothing to do and the courts were empty. Saloons and bars shut down for lack of business. Public drunkenness was almost non-existent. Old debts, many long forgotten, were paid off in full. Traveling theatrical agencies canceled their engagements as everyone was in church. This is my favorite part. Profanity disappeared. It said that horses everywhere were in complete confusion. They'd become accustomed to responding to their master's profane shouts and kicking and cursing, virtually all of which had disappeared. 
okay? Like if you've ever been around a police dog that's been trained in German, you know, you try to, to tell it to come in English and it just looks at you. That's what happened because God had so cleaned up their language that they didn't recognize the commands that they were being given. That's something only God can do. And would to God that he would do it again. Would to God that he would do it here. In Christiansburg, in Montgomery County, in the New River Valley, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So that a generation from now, people could declare the goodness of God because of what got started here. You know what's interesting about the Welsh revival as you study it, it Although Evan Roberts became kind of the key figure, at first, it wasn't all centered around one church, one group of people in one place. Uh, I, I think it was G. Campbell Morgan that, that said, you, as you looked at Wales, it was as though God had lit fires all over the country, and all of a sudden, they just caught and spread. There was a group praying here, and there was a group praying here, and there was a group praying here. Maybe it won't start here but I pray that it would. Maybe we'll be the ones praying and God will start it in Baltimore. God will start it in inner city Memphis. God will start it in Washington State or Washington, D.C. I don't care. I want to see God move. And here's the thing. When people notice, sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes it's not. Many were amazed and 3,000 got saved. But look at verse 13 again. Some sneered and said, they're just drunk. They're drunk on new wine. This is not for us and for our glory. Some people thought that God was doing a great work and they surrendered their life to Christ. Others thought that people were drunk. When God moves in ways that only he can, some will be drawn to him and others, however, are going to be repulsed. They're going to make fun. Paul uses a picture that I think, for those of you, how many of you like sitting around a campfire? Love campfires. I love the fact that when you get back in your car after being in a campfire, you just, ah, smell of a good campfire. There's nothing like it. Now, I know some people who hate that smell. That, that stale smoke smell, they're just like, ah, it's disgusting. How many of you guys, by the way, let's, this, I'm going somewhere with this. How many of you like cilantro? Okay, I love cilantro. If I'm at Moe's, put that on top of the burrito, man, that just seals the deal for me. How many of you think cilantro tastes like stink bugs? Okay, yeah, that's actually a genetic thing. There's like a genetic predisposition that makes some people where cilantro tastes like stink bug. For us, Paul says here to the church at Corinth that we are like this because we smell like Jesus. Here, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. If you're walking with Jesus, you're going to smell like Jesus. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who's adequate for these things? For some of you, 
As you're living out Jesus, you are going to be the cilantro on the burrito that seals the deal and God draws someone to their relationship with him through your life. He does the work, but he chooses to use you as an agent in that. Others of you, you're going to be the cilantro that ruins the burrito. Your coworkers are going to hate that you won't go with them anymore. Your classmates are going to get mad that you won't share that same video that they're all laughing at. They're going to say, oh, you're too good for that. I see. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. I thought you were smarter than that. It's, it's, I can't believe you're falling for all that just emotional hype and stuff. Why are you so weak that you need that Jesus garbage anyway? Right? When God moves other people will notice. Some he'll draw to himself, some will be repulsed. I want to see him move anyway, though. I don't know about you. So let me ask you the question that I asked you in the beginning. Are you happy with what you've seen of God in your life? Or do you want to see more? Do you want to see God do what only he can in the life of yourself, your family, your church, your community, your world? Pray. Don't just give lip service to it. Don't just throw stuff to the ceiling. I mean, start somewhere. If you've you've never prayed before, I'm not saying that you need to pray for an hour and a half every day or anything. Start where you are, but take it serious. Get serious about being holy. Evan Roberts prayed for 14 years before God sent revival. God woke him up in the middle of the night for months on end, stirring his heart to prepare him for how God was going to use him to turn the country of Wales back to himself. Are you willing to be that guy who doesn't get a good night's sleep anymore? Are you willing to give God honor and glory when he moves like only he can? so that you can be a aroma of Christ to others. By the way, you may be here this morning and you've realized as we've been talking that you've never come into a relationship with Christ. As you've been listening to this, you realize you've never been saved. My challenge to you today would be to turn from trusting in yourself to turn to trusting in Jesus. Your hair's not going to catch on fire, but at the same time, you will be invited into this relationship with God where you find forgiveness, you find hope, you find joy, and you have the ability to join him in doing the things that only he can to see eternities transformed. If you've never done that today, I'd encourage you, just wherever you are, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person with us, all you gotta do is cry out to God and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I wanna follow you. I want you to be my Lord, my boss. I want you to be in charge. Surrender to him today. In fact, I wanna invite you to do something. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes this morning. I'm going to ask Daniel to come up here. Before our sermon, we we spent some time kneeling. And it may be that as God's been convicting you this morning, you want to come down here and make these steps an altar. Maybe that you want to come down here and ask me to pray with you or Just spend some time praying by yourself. If you come down, by the way, I'm not going to pray with you unless you ask, okay? I'm just going to leave you to to do business with God. Maybe you just want to ask God to create in you a hunger.
to help you to see what it's like to follow. Maybe you've got questions about what it looks like to start that relationship with Jesus and you need to talk to me about it. Whatever it is, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Just there where you are. I think the way we're situated right now, if you need to get out, I think you can get out without having to climb over anybody's here, okay? I want to give us just a moment there to do business with God and ask him to give us a heart to see him move. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you to just continue with your head bowed, eyes closed. If you want to come down and make these steps an altar, if you want to talk to me, whatever, you feel free to do as God leads. Father, this morning, we long to see you at work in greater ways. We don't want to discount what you've done because we thank you for the, the joy that we felt this morning, the, the reminder of your goodness and your power and your strength, the, the fellowship that comes with being together with others who know you and are walking with you. But God, we know that there are so many who are outside of these walls who don't have a relationship with you. There may be even some here this morning who don't yet know you. God, we want you to save them. We want you to rescue them and ransom them. So God, we want to be pure, clean vessels. So as we take some time now just to settle these things in our heart, we ask for you to move as you see fit. Help us to respond.